At this time, the children are dismissed. If they'd like to go to Children's Church, they're welcome to do so. Hey, by the way, if you're a children's worker in our church, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen? Um, because your ministry means so much, so much to those who call Kerbin's Alliance or Church Home and have children. You're not just ministering to the kids. You're ministering to the parents. And you're ministering to grandparents as well. A grandparent said to me one time, hey, my adult children are coming to church because my grandkids love it. Isn't that a blessing? And so you, who are working, whether it's in nursery or in children's church or wherever, I love how God is using you. Uh, thank you for that ministry. I want to ask you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. That is where we'll be this morning, Matthew chapter 25. There's a Bible app event for this. If you would like to, you can follow along on that, and it would be helpful for you. We're starting this new series. It's a series on transitions, and we're going to talk about a number of transitions that you need to make in your thinking, in your heart, in order to grow uh, the way God would have you to grow. There are transitions that I need to make. We all need to make. They're common to humankind. And the first one we're going to talk about is success. But before we talk specifically about success, let me talk to you a little bit about transitions. About a year or so ago, I read uh, online that uh, the city of Dubois was thinking of putting a roundabout on Beaver Avenue. You know where I mean? Right between the mall and uh, the boulevard where Hosses is, that stretch of highway there going off in the middle. Uh, they were going to put a roundabout. You know what a roundabout is, right? You're looking at one on the screen. Um, that's a roundabout. And, and they were thinking of doing that. Now, if you've never driven on a roundabout, they can be downright confusing. In fact, the first time I ever drove on one, I'm like, who thought this was a good idea? And then the second time I thought, who thought this was a good idea? But something happened in my mind that I transitioned in my thinking, and I love roundabouts. In fact, when they're not there, I treat every intersection as though it is a roundabout anyway. (laughs) Roundabouts are great once you get used to them. And if you don't think so, may God transition you in your thinking on them. Um, They're great because they let you transition from one lane to another in a very smooth kind of way. And transitioning when you're traveling is important in order to get to where you want to get. Transitioning in your thinking is important as you're traveling the journey of life in order to get where you want to get better in order to get where God wants you to get. The Bible talks about transitioning in our thinking over and over again. Perhaps one of the most well-known or or commonly addressed passage on this is in Romans chapter 12, where after Paul has just spent about 11 chapters talking about heavy theological concepts, he makes it really practical by saying, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Listen to what he says. But be transformed, transitioned, by the renewing of your mind in your thinking. Changed in your thinking, transformed in your thinking. God wants you to have a renewed mind. He wants you to have thinking that is in tune with um, what he has in mind for your life. Transitions are actually essential in your spiritual life. Now, I mentioned to you earlier, the idea for this sermon series came from a book that I was reading. My wife bought it for me. It's called From Weakness to Strength. It's by Scott Sauls. And he talks about different areas in our life where we need to make changes in the way we think. And the one that I'm going to be speaking about today is transitioning how we think about success. Changing how you think about what makes you successful. And the first passage I'm going to read with you today is a passage that really talks about success in the kingdom of God, kind of. If you look at Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start reading in verse 14. Jesus is telling a parable, that is, he's telling a story that has a lesson to it. 
And you're going to see in there that some people could be successful and some maybe not so much. Listen as I start reading at verse 14, and if you can, follow along with me. Jesus says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then when he, then he went on his journey. The man who received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Also, the one who, with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. The master replied, and here it is, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, and here it is again, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had one received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. (laughs) So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more than they will have with abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. Then throw that worthless servant outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a story of success and of failure. You can see the success of the first two servants. You can see the failure of that third servant. I want to take some time as we begin and just talk about success. I want, to, I want us to be thinking about success. And one of the things you know about success is it's something that we all pursue in a variety of different areas of our life. We pursue it in finances. I want to make sure that I have, what is it that Dave Ramsey says? I need to have three months or is it six months of, of money available in case a catastrophe happens, okay? So am I successful in that or not? And I got this retirement coming up. How am I doing saving for that? My success? We pursue success in finances. We pursue success in sports. How's your team doing? Did they win? How do you handle it when they lose? How about that success? We pursue success as a parent. Do you know parents, by the way, who pursue success for their children because they want that success? That's not real healthy, right? But we do pursue success in parenting or hunting or fishing or marriage or even in our Christian faith, we pursue success in that we want to produce fruit. We want to take these bags of gold and go to the master and say, here, here's what I did with these. We want to use our lives for his glory. When you think about it, it seems that we're almost programmed to pursue success. And that kind of makes sense if you think of the creation story. Because you're not even out of the first chapter when God gives a task to humankind. You know the task he gives. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And right then, God has injected into the human heart the idea that there's a goal, we need to fulfill it, we want to be successful about doing it. And it it trickles right down to you and me. 
we have a desire, it's almost programmed into our DNA, to pursue success. But there's this interesting thing about success. It isn't always what we think it is. Success. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Have you ever worked really hard to get something? And then when you got it, found yourself disappointed. And there was nothing wrong with the something. I mean, it was what you thought it would be, but the success did not feel the way you anticipated the success would feel. You remember Tom Brady, who said to Steve Croft in a 2003 interview after winning the Super Bowl, Brady says, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this, isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I think all of us feel that way about different successes. It's just not what we thought it would be. Success does not always mean what we think it means. And the author of Ecclesiastes brings that home again and again. In chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes, he makes this remark, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. <laughs> this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Success isn't always what we think it will be. But I'll tell you something that success is. It is something that reveals who you are on the inside. Success reveals who you are on the inside. There is a certain NFL receiver who will remain nameless because <laughs> it's just too fun to pick on celebrities, isn't it? Right? Who, uh, when he started playing, everyone loved him. I mean, I loved him. I followed him on Twitter. To God be the glory, he would say when they won a game. And uh, I would have worn his jersey, you know? He was great. Everybody loved him, but something happened. He became successful. He became incredibly successful. And now he's downright obnoxious. <laughs> Some might say that success changed him. Others might say success merely revealed who he was in the first place. It's a thought worth pondering. But what it tells us is that there are dangers inherent in success. Success can actually blind you to what is really important. I mean, have you ever seen a ministry or a minister that started off really great. They had a fantastic ministry for a year, for a decade, maybe two decades, and something happened and they crashed and burned. If you haven't seen that, you're not paying attention. It happens all the time. Now, there are a lot of reasons for that, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but I think one of the reasons is that success can blind you to what you are and to what is going on around you and to what is really important. Success can blind you to that which is really important. And Jesus warns us about this. I mean, Jesus is speaking in Luke chapter 10 after he has sent out the, the 72 and they went out and he said, go out and I want you to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God is near and do it, right? And when they come back, they are exuberant. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You know what that means? That's Jesus' way of saying, woot. <laughs> Jesus is saying, yeah. When you were out there delivering people from demonic oppression and healing people, it was like Satan was falling from heaven all over again. That was awesome, guys. Yeah, that was great. And Jesus enters into the exuberance of the occasion. But then, Jesus' tone gets a little more sober. And he says this to them. He says, however, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, 
but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You hear what he's saying? Don't let your success in ministry (laughs) eclipse the reality of God's love and compassion in your life. Don't let your, your success in life being a parent or being a good steward of your money or doing a great job at work, don't let that become the focal point so that you forget the beauty and joy and hope that belongs to you through God's grace in Jesus Christ. Success is dangerous because it can make you blind to what's really important. Likewise, success can actually provide an unstable foundation. Atari, Kmart, Montgomery Ward, America Online. What do those have in common? (laughs) They have all failed or they are failing. Those aren't, however, just companies that failed In some regard, those are companies that rested on their laurels. Rested on their laurels? What does that even mean? That's not a figure of speech that you hear every day. It doesn't mean that I lean on my wife, whose name happens to be Laurel. That's not what it means. Laurel is a crown, a laurel wreath around your head when you win the Olympic Games. (laughs) Resting on your laurels is resting on your past achievements, your past successes, your past trophies, rather than thinking about the future. And the fact that that is a figure of speech that is so old you hardly know what a laurel is demonstrates how common this practice is to kind of rest on your past successes. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12 about a man who was resting on kind of a shaky foundation of his past successes. He says that the ground of a certain man had yielded an abundant harvest, and he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my grain, and I'll say to myself, you're successful. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What was his foundation? His success in providing everything he felt that he would possibly need for his future. It turned out that wasn't just a shaky foundation. That was a worthless one. Useless. Because he died that night. Jesus says, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you, then who will get the stuff you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich toward God. I understand Jesus' point in that parable has to do with selfishness and not tending to the things of God and the kingdom of God, but don't miss that the story also demonstrates that you can have a very successful past, and if you're not thinking regarding your future, that successful past can be a shaky, shaky foundation, maybe even a useless one. There is a kind of success that actually brings the opposite of happiness. Scott Sauls, who uh, wrote the book From Weakness to Strength, reminds us of this by pointing out Tennessee Williams. There's that English teacher sitting halfway back. He's always there. And another one in front of him, right? I have two English teachers right there. I don't know who Tennessee Williams is. I'll be real honest. I don't know that I would know Tennessee Williams from uh, William Bradford. That's just how bad it is. I, I do know, though, that Tennessee Williams wrote a play called The Glass Menagerie. And I do remember sitting in an English literature class in school and we read that play out loud. I remember that, but I can remember nothing of that play. I'm guessing that it was worth remembering, 
but I don't remember it. What I'm going to tell you next is something else that Tennessee Williams wrote that I think is really worth remembering. He was a nobody. He wrote this play, The Glass Menagerie. It's on Broadway. It's everywhere. And he's incredibly successful. Listen to what he writes in another essay after that. I was snatched out of virtual oblivion and thrust into sudden prominence. I sat down and looked about me and was suddenly very depressed. I lived on room service, but this too was a disenchantment. I soon found myself becoming indifferent to people. A well of cynicism rose in me. I got sick of hearing people say, I loved your play. So sick that I would not even say thank you anymore. I no longer felt any pride in the play itself, but began to dislike it, probably because I felt too lifeless inside to ever create another. I was walking around, dead in my shoes. Now things like that statement, that portion of that essay, they remind us that success is a dangerous thing because it doesn't always bring what we think it's going to bring. But that does not mean that we should avoid being successful. I think I actually know some people who, seeing the dangers of success, said, well, then I'm not going to really try to pursue success. And I don't know, maybe they've tasted a bit of it and didn't like what they felt like it was doing to them because of their perspective, because of how they thought about what was happening. And so they turned away from it. And now they live kind of mundane lives. And there's nothing wrong with an ordinary life, but nobody wants to live a mundane life. But I do know people that have kind of turned away from it because they don't want to have that success because it's so dangerous. That's not where we want to land. We don't want to land there. Rather than giving up on the idea of success at all, what would be healthy for us is to transition our thinking about success. And as we're journeying this journey of faith and we're following this highway along, as we see this roundabout here, is there somewhere we need to go to point our lives in a different direction? Is there a change in our thinking that needs to take place? Yeah, there is. We need to change the way we view success, change the way we define success, transition in our thinking concerning success. The entire transition really centers on the verse that that is in the parable I read about the bags of gold, and it's said two times. And I want you to think about the fact that Jesus took the time to say that twice, so it must have been pretty important. And then think about the fact that Luke, you know, or Matthew rather, to Matthew 25, that Matthew, who's probably using a quill pen, I'm not even sure, I know this, he's not using Microsoft Word, he takes the time to write it twice. He can't copy and paste that. He writes it twice. It must be kind of important. It's that passage where the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And I want to say that when you begin to own that teaching, your idea of success transitions from the things we've just been talking about into something that's actually worth pursuing. The first transition we might need to make is to own the reality that success is doing that which pleases God. You might think I'm saying that because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to say that. But I would believe that if I was a pastor or a postman. That success in whatever you're doing is doing whatever pleases God. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to Christians in a place called Corinth, says, we make it our goal. You hear the word goal has to do with success. 
to please him, God. Whether we're in the body or away from the body, whether I'm dead or alive, my measure of success, Paul says, is, is this pleasing to God? And if it's not, then I'm not successful. If it is, then I'm successful. And by the way, transitioning in this element to defining success as being that which is pleasing to God, it is a huge stress relief. You got stress? Make this transition. Let me give you a couple illustrations of why I believe this is a huge stress relief. I do funerals. I do a lot of funerals. And some are pretty emotional. And anytime something is emotional, particularly that kind of emotion, it is stressful. And I, by nature, want to please everyone who is there. By nature, I want to make it all better. I'm doing a funeral, and I want to make it all better, but I can't. Some of the people are brokenhearted. Some of them are angry. Some of them just wish they were anywhere but there. And some of them are hurting. Most of them are hurting deeply. And I want to make it all better. I want to make everything okay, but I can't. And that's a stressful position for a human being to be in. I'm not whining about it. I'm just saying it is. So what do you do when you find yourself in that kind of place where you can't make everyone happy? I make it my goal to please God. And I say, God, as I go in to meet with this family, and God, as I go in to pray with them before the the viewing, and God, as I go to deliver the words to them during that service, may you be pleased with this. May you be pleased with this. And that relieves a lot of stress. Let me give you a more lighthearted example. (laughs) Marriage. My wife loves to cook and I love to eat. We have a marriage made in the kitchen right there, right? Or a marriage made in heaven. Yeah, It's a perfect union. But I don't care to eat that which is healthy. And I am sure that this has caused Laurel Shields some stress through the years. Let me just be real honest. Kermansville Alliance, real God, real life, real people. This is real Steve. I would like to have to eat for every meal. Blueberry pie or peach pie, hot, with ice cream melting down over the edge of it. That's what I want. Breakfast, lunch, and supper. I feel like that would be a good idea. Laurel, would you please bake that for me regularly? That is how I would like to eat. But she knows she can't do that because I can't live on pie and ice cream. I want to try it, but I know that I can't. And she knows that I can't. So rather than merely trying to please me, I'm guessing that a long time ago, Laurel made it her goal to please God. And that relieves a lot of stress. Perhaps she says something like this, I don't know. I didn't even clear this illustration with her. I may or may not be here next week. (laughs) But perhaps she says something like this, this may not be Steve's favorite, but I know that God is pleased with this meal. And that would make cooking and serving kale a lot less stressful, wouldn't it? In her defense, she's never fed me kale. She's a wonderful woman. Listen, when you transition from trying to please people to trying to please God, you find yourself much happier and more successful. Because believe it or not, God is easier to please than most people. Did you hear that sentence? It doesn't seem like it's logical. It seems counterintuitive. He's God. How can I please him? Because he's gracious and he loves you. And God is easier to please than most people. 
Another transition we should make involves learning that success is surrendering to God even when it costs. I would think success would be surrendering to God and it didn't cost me anything. (laughs) That would be success, but that's not the case. Pleasing God almost always involves sacrifice. And some of us want to avoid sacrifice at all costs because sacrifice is pain. And if I can avoid pain at all costs, I'm all in for that. But listen, sacrificing for someone you love can be a real joy. What's said at men's group stays at men's group, unless the pastor needs it for an illustration. (laughs) Guys, I would never betray your trust. But I'm going to tell this story because I've heard so many guys say it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a guy say, we talk at men's group, we talk about the Bible, we talk about hunting, we talk about our cars, we talk about sports, we talk about NASCAR. Did you notice I qualified that outside of sports? Did you see what I did there? We, we talk about our wives, we talk about our children, we talk about our families, we talk about being a man, we talk about work. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard a guy say something like this. I wish my wife would let me get this for her. I wish my wife would let me do this for her. I know it will cost a lot, but I really want to sacrifice for her in that way. It's not always in that form, but I hear that more often than you would think. And here's what that man is saying. He's saying, I know that sacrifice has a cost, but there is a joy in sacrificing for someone you love. Sacrifice is difficult, but sacrifice is also rewarding. It is even, it is also satisfying, it is even rewarding. You kind of see this tension in Jesus' prayer when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross, that's going to be a sacrifice. Wow, is that an understatement, right? Jesus knows it's going to cost. But you remember the words he says in Luke twenty four forty two when he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me because he knows it's going to cost. And no one in their right mind would think it was a fun thing to die for the sins of humankind. But Jesus is willing to because Jesus does not measure success in terms of avoiding pain and sacrifice. Jesus measures success in how well he surrenders to the Father. And that's why he says at the end of that verse, yet not my will, but yours be done. When you transition from being unwilling to sacrifice to willingly sacrifice for the Father, success becomes attainable. And it's good. It's wonderful. Another transition you may want to make is coming to realize that success is found by trusting God for something better. And that something better is often later. Success is found by trusting God for something better. Did you notice that I didn't say success is found by getting something better from God? It's not just getting something better. It's trusting him that there is something better coming that makes you successful. I see that in the life of Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, when it's looking back at the life of Abraham, and it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive his inheritance, went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That's cool. Go ahead, Abraham. I really admire you for that. The next verse says, by faith, he made his home in the promised land. Yeah! 
He's arrived. Everything's great, right? Listen to the language. He made his home in a promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. And not just him, as did Isaac, and as did his grandson Jacob, who were heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see that Abraham didn't live to receive the fullness of the promise he awaited. Think about his life. He lived in tents. (laughs) As a nomad. Like he was a foreigner until the day he died. He looked for a city with foundations, not with a little crack around the bottom of the tent that little animals could come in every now and again. He looked for a city whose architect was God, not some tent designer, whose whose builder was God, not a tent maker. (laughs) Before God called him, Abraham lived in a pretty good place. We know it as Ur of the Chaldees. We think that it was, as far as we know, kind of a center of ancient civilization. And he left that behind for tents until the day he died. Now, I want you to imagine that you lived in a place like New York City. Now, for some of you, that's like saying, I can't even think that way. But Elaine would say, yeah, that's not a bad place to live. Right, Elaine? Amen. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Isn't it cool how people with such different perspectives can love one another? (laughs) I want you to have Elaine's perspective. I want you to imagine that you lived in New York City and you loved it. I don't know, what's a nice part of New York City? Manhattan? There you are. You're in Manhattan. You know, and you've got everything you need. You've got authentic New York pizza. And I'm gonna, I just want to say, that beats the tar out of Chicago pizza. I'm just saying, okay? Amen, Amen again. There it is. You've got a couple major league ball teams. You've got designer shoes, designer bags, designer clothing. You've got two hockey teams. One of them's still in the playoffs. You've got Broadway. You've got NFL teams. And then you tell everyone, I'm going away. I'm leaving New York City. Not to the beautiful woods of Pennsylvania, but you're going to a desert. It's kind of like Utah or Arizona. And you're going to live in a tent. You're going to eat cactus and mutton. And there's not a lot of grapes, so you're not going to have any wine, and this is your life. So there you are. You're doing that. Now imagine that someone comes back from home and comes to visit you. (laughs) And they see you. And they look at your life and they think, wow, did Abraham ever make a bad decision? Despite your wealth, and Abraham had a lot of wealth, they might even consider you a failure. And unless your thinking has transitioned so that you're trusting God for something better, you might see yourself in the same way. But Abraham saw success as trusting God for something better even when he was living in a tent. Are you successful, Abraham? Absolutely. Are you going to be successful, Abraham? No more than I am right now. Because success isn't about having that which is promised. It is about believing that you will have that which is promised. That's why he's called a father of our faith. He was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Transitions, changing lanes, changing your hairstyle, going into a different profession, turning around when you're going the wrong direction on a one-way street. Transitions are part of life. They are an essential part of your Christian life. And if you won't make them, then you'll never really know success. 
if you stick to having the same perspective about success that you probably were born with, then you'll never really grasp success. Is God calling you to make that transition? Don't be afraid to do so. Change your way of thinking. Ask him to help you to. Ask him to help you to. Ask him to help you to. I came upon an article, I think it might have been in Psychology Today, it was on a reputable website, it wasn't on BuzzFeed. It was an article that I saw that that said, um, the, the title of it captured me, it said, Why People Never Change Their Opinion. You gotta know, as a pastor, that's something I need to know the answer to. And the article was well written, it was scholarly, and it said, you cannot transition the way you think. True or false? Maybe true if we're writing from a purely human perspective. But we're not talking from a human perspective. We're talking from the perspective of the God who says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so he, he, if you'll surrender to him, can transition your thinking on these very issues. I want to pray that he could transition, that he would transition our thinking about success. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to say, God, I tend to be kind of stubborn and I tend to think in one way. And the way I was born thinking probably isn't right. I need to think differently. And if that's your prayer, then as I pray this, this morning, join your heart in the silence of your thought with me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I tend to think the way the people around me think, the way the people of the world think. That success is um, doing what I want to do, and success is avoiding any cost or pain, and Success is really in having what I need and want right now. And I need to get out of that. I repent of that. And I transition my thinking so that I might realize that success is doing that which pleases you. Make my heart and mind of such a nature that the question that comes into them when I'm making an important decision is, will this please God? Help me see success is doing that which pleases you. Second, Father, help me see success as surrendering to you even when it costs. Though I might say, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Let me land where Jesus landed and say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Help me to be one who would surrender to you. Understanding that is a pathway to success. And help me trust you, not just for what I have, God, but help me trust you for what you have for me that is yet to come. And help me to see that success is not receiving that which is yet to come, but trusting you for that which is yet to come. That will take a radical change in my perspective, and I can make none of these changes apart from the agency of your Holy Spirit working in me. So Holy Spirit of God, transform, transition our way of thinking. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.